I'll uh, walk around and preach as long as someone in the front row lets me know if I catch fire. Okay, <laughs> quite an obstacle out here. I want to make sure I don't burst into flames. You're probably um, wondering why things are different in our church today. We have a cross, we have the candles, we have our images that have been covered. There was a guy that I went to seminary with and we were ordained together in 2009 and this guy, he was an army ranger and had become a helicopter pilot in the army. And we were chatting a little bit and he was describing to me a little bit of his training and the different things he had to do, you know, the different survival uh, things he had to go through. And then he was talking to me about what they do to train them as helicopter pilots. And he said at one point, they do something that's called flying under the hood. And those of you who are pilots out there probably know what I'm talking about. And what they do is they put literally a hood on you that keeps you from seeing anything outside of the helicopter. And your vision is restricted to the control panel. So the test is you have to be able to fly your helicopter without seeing anything around you, but simply relying on those instruments. And the reason being is that not all the time will those things that you see outside the helicopter, will they help you? There's times when you'll encounter fog. There's times when it'll be raining so hard that you can't see. There's times when maybe it'll look like you're closer to the ground than you actually are. And you have to be able to fly your helicopter based on those instruments that can't fail you. That even though you're not able to see anything around you, you're able to fly your helicopter focused on that control panel. A similar thing the church does for us today. Back in the Middle Ages, they used to cover the statues, they used to cover the crosses during the entire season of Lent. And it was an opportunity to help people to focus on Jesus' passion and death. To accompany Jesus in the desert. What's in the desert? There's nothing in the desert. The absence of all this stuff that we're used to so that we can focus truly on what is essential. So since then, the church has shifted that practice to the fifth Sunday of Lent, which is the beginning of what we call Passion Tide. Before the revision of our readings back in the 1960s, beginning with today, you would have noticed a tremendous shift in our readings. The readings would have become much more intense. We would have been reading from the Gospel of John and seeing the conflict between the Jews and Jesus and how they were plotting to kill Jesus Christ. The whole scene would have changed during Lent, beginning with this Sunday. So the church called this Sunday Passion Sunday because the passion of Jesus Christ was clearly on the horizon. And then the following Sunday, which it's still called this today, is Palm Sunday, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem and they are welcoming him with palm branches. 
So that's the reason why we have our statues, our cross, completely covered. It's a moment for us to, so to speak, narrow our vision and pull away everything else that might distract us and to focus on the upcoming passion of Jesus Christ. We heard in our readings today, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And as I've mentioned several times before, we're in cycle A. It's that cycle of readings that are designed for those who are about to be baptized. So we've had, what have we had? We've had the Samaritan woman, Jesus offering life-giving waters, the waters of baptism. We've had Jesus last Sunday who cures the blind man, that candle that the baptized receive, the newly baptized receive. Behold the light of Christ. Jesus that enables us to see with the eyes of faith. And how appropriate that now we get to this fifth and last Sunday before Palm Sunday. And lo and behold, we have in our gospel passage, Jesus who brings someone who is dead back to life. How appropriate. We who have been baptized to remember how Jesus has brought us who were dead back to life. But there's something troubling in today's gospel. I don't know if you picked up on it. Where they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, your good friend Lazarus is sick. You need to hurry. You need to come. And what does Jesus do? Jesus stays for two days before he sets off towards visiting his friend Lazarus. Right? It'd be like, imagine if someone called you from school and they said, you know, your child is here at school and he's sick and he's throwing up. And you said, okay, I'll be right there. I'll be there in a couple of days. Right? The principal would probably wonder, well, what kind of a parent are you? Don't you care about your child? I just told you your child is sick, someone that you love. And you say, well, yeah, I'll, I'll be there in a couple of days. I'm right on it. It can be a little bit disturbing. We say, well, is Jesus indifferent? Does Jesus not care about Lazarus? And yet we see that God's clock doesn't always coincide with ours. God's time often is different than ours. A lot of times we do things in haste and yet God does things slowly. Think of the Last Supper. What does Jesus say to Judas when he's about to betray him? What you must do, do quickly. God's clock many times is different from ours. And we know that Jesus loved Lazarus because why? When he arrived and he saw that Lazarus was dead, what does it say in the gospel today? And Jesus wept. Jesus experienced sorrow at the loss of his friend Lazarus. 
Jesus experienced that grief, that pain, that loss. God wanted to identify with all the emotions that we have. And Jesus wept. What a beautiful phrase in our gospel. We don't have a God that's up there who's saying, hey, if you just make it through the rat race, I will reward you once you get to heaven. Hang in there. I don't know what you're going through, but when you get up here, I'll make it all up to you. And Jesus wept. He knows our sorrow. He knows our pain. He knows our grief. And here's the last thing that probably as well slipped right by us. Jesus comes to the tomb, and what does John say in his gospel? He says, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Obviously, a day for that person to journey towards Jesus, two days that Jesus stayed where he was, and then the fourth day for Jesus to travel back to Bethany and encounter the tomb and find the tomb of Lazarus. Four days, and we're like, okay, Four days, so what? It could have been five or six or three or two. Why does John make it a point to say it had been four days? And remember, no detail is insignificant for John. Four days. Why did Jesus wait four days? Because the Jews at the time believed that when a person died, their soul would leave their body, but would stay beside the body for three days, hoping to rejoin, to join with the body again. And after three days, the soul would lose hope of being rejoined to the body, and would depart for good. Why does Jesus Christ wait and go to the tomb after four days? Because what's impossibly dead for God can still be brought back to life. The Jews who knew that four days had passed clearly understood there's no hope of life. The soul is gone. The three days are up. And yet Jesus in today's gospel, what is he saying? Not only can he bring someone back from the dead, not only can he cause the soul to re-enter the body of this dead person, he's saying even you who believe that after three days the soul has departed, has lost hope, the soul of that person has lost hope and has departed from the body definitively, with God nothing is definitive. He can bring back even that kind of dead person to life. My dear brothers and sisters, this is our last reflection before we approach Palm Sunday next week.
before we approach that holy week when we remember what Jesus has suffered for us, his death for us. And this last reflection is a reflection of hope. It's a reflection where we're supposed to look within and see the gift that we've been given, to see that nothing is impossible for God. What is dead, he can bring back to life. It's not true that I'm hopeless. Jesus can bring anyone back to life. Jesus can bring me out of my sin and back to life. 